As mentioned, Leviticus 20 is very similar, almost identical to Leviticus 18. In Leviticus 18, there are a number of prohibitions that are given, things that the nation of Israel is not to engage in, sins that they are to avoid committing, both now as they are preparing to enter into the promised land and also after they get there and get established. In chapter 20, then, the only difference is that there are penalties assigned. There are consequences given for violating these uh, commands of God. And so what I'd like to do this morning is kind of zoom out from the text a little bit and look at more of a topic. I cringe a little bit as an expositional preacher, but I think that this is important for us this morning because really the only difference between this section certainly of Leviticus 20 and Leviticus 18 is that this time there are consequences that are a reality here for these violations. And so I think it is helpful and I hope it will be helpful for us this morning to look at this reality of justice. I want to define then briefly, biblically, what justice is and then see what we have from texts surrounding our text this morning as well as our text itself on this topic of justice. Justice. It has been defined, redefined, and misinformed by our society and by our culture. Justice means a lot of different things depending on who you talk to, although justice doesn't actually mean different things depending on who you talk to. And so what I'd like to do is sort of define justice for us this morning. Justice then is that which accords with, mirrors, reflects, aligns with the character of God. God defines what justice is. If you want to know what justice is, know God. Who God is defines for us who justice or what justice is. Justice is not some concept outside of God that God adheres to. God defines for us what justice is. And so it is what is right. It is what is true. It is what is loving. It is what is God. That is what true justice is. It aligns with what is right and with what is true. Now, sometimes we define justice as fairness. Now, I remember growing up as a kid, there were two favorite phrases in the Eastwood household. The first and most common appeared and occurred only when my parents were away from the home. And one of the siblings, I have seven of them, were in charge. And they say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and nothing proved that like getting one of the Eastwood boys to babysit. And as soon as we were in charge, buckle up, things are going to be different around here. And so the favorite phrase, bar none, amongst us was, you're not the boss. If there had been a video camera system uh, at that point in time, apparently I'm old, um, we certainly would have heard that a lot on the audio. You're not the boss. But the second was, that's not fair. And what we typically meant by that was, this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And of course, it's not a proper de definition of fairness either. But that's oftentimes what we mean when we, mean when we look at justice. But justice is not necessarily what is fair, although that is part of it, true fairness, I suppose, but more so what is right. 
I remember one of my many jobs before uh, God calling me into the ministry, or I actually got into the ministry after having been called into the ministry. I was working in the trades, and I distinctly remember one interaction. The contractor that I was working for at the time billed a client. We completed the work on time and well, and the client handed him back his bill with $500 removed from the final price. And I remember the contractor that I was working for at the time being quite upset. And it wasn't just the $500, although if every client took $500 off the bill, it wouldn't be long before the contractor wouldn't be making any money. But it was more so the justice, or I should say the injustice, of that reality. Apparently the client knew that in order to go to the courts and to try to go through all of this system, it would almost cost more to sort of see this all the way through than it would just to sort of eat the loss. And yet, to take away from someone's livelihood is an injustice, and it was felt and felt deeply. This goes all the way into the Old Testament. One of the main ways that God says justice is to be shown is through just weights and balances. What does that mean? In the system in Israel, as in the cultures of the ancient Near East, everything in the marketplace was done through scales. And so if you were buying or selling the item that you wanted to sell, you'd put it on the scales, weights would be applied to the other side, and once it balanced out, the transaction could, could move forward. Same as if you were buying something. It was not uncommon practice to have two sets of weights. A set of weights that was slightly less than what was printed on them and a set of weights that was slightly more than what was printed on them. So that depending on whether you were buying or selling, you would put an unjust weight onto the balance scales. So that you would give the client less than what they paid for or you would buy more than what you paid for because you used unjust weights or balances. All the way down to that micro level, at the level of the everyday, at the level of commerce, God says, I am justice. And what I desire is justice. And how we conduct ourselves. Are we conducting ourselves in the way that is right, that reflects the God that we say that we serve? And so, Leviticus chapter 20, I'm just going to read verses 10 through 12, and then we're going to just sort of zoom back and look a bit at this more in depth, this topic of justice before us this morning. Leviticus chapter 20, starting to read verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife... He has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. This is the word of the Lord. So a number of things in this passage that make it unique from Leviticus 18, as we have pointed out, and we'll get to those in due time. But the main reality is, in chapter 20, there are now consequences that are assigned to these violations. If the nation of Israel is to live in a way that reflects who God is, if they are, as an unholy people, to live with the presence of a holy God in their midst, what is that to look like? And a big part of what that is to look like is justice. 
And when things are done that are not right, that do not accord with who God is and with his character, there are consequences that are to be enacted so that justice can be done. And so in the first place this morning, we want to see three foci or focuses of justice. The focus of justice. What is justice's true focus? In the first place, justice values human life. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, one of the first times that capital punishment is mentioned in the scriptures, if someone takes human life, they have forfeited the right to keep their own. Human life is valued highly. What is interesting in studying for this text, the reality is in other ancient Near East legal codes at this time, the highest penalties were not for murder or for those things that violated human life. They were for theft and things that involved property. And so, where you place the highest consequences as a culture society is some implication uh, or, or somewhat indicative of where you place the highest value. So it would appear that other ancient Near Eastern cultures placed a higher value on property, on stuff, than human life. What we notice in the Old Testament legal code as it relates to punishment, if I can put it that way, or consequences, human life is valued most. The highest penalties come for those violations that are against humans, fellow humans, and especially human life. And so justice values human life. Again, in our culture... Justice has been redefined and is constantly being redefined, unfortunately. And other things are being brought in that are elevated above human life. In fact, in some circles, human life is viewed as the problem. But we know that when God created all things, the last thing he created was man man and woman. And they were to be the stewards of his creation. They are the apex of it. Only humanity, even different than angelic beings, bear the image of God. And so true justice, the justice that is godly justice, and there really is no other kind, justice that is defined by who God is, values human life. Number two, justice values individual accountability. Deuteronomy 24.16 says clearly that fathers will not bear the penalty of the sins of their sons, nor sons the penalty of the sins of their fathers. Individual accountability is part of biblical justice, is part of the justice that comes from God that is part of who he is and part of his character. Unfortunately, the justice of our culture and of our society has been drifting towards a lack of individual accountability, and we have renamed justice the avoidance of consequences. But the avoidance of consequences is not true justice. Justice values individual accountability, both on the part of the one who has committed the offense, all right, uh, and on the part of those that are called upon to do justice towards those that have committed the offense. In the passage that we read and throughout this passage in 10 through 21, there is a continual phrase, and we'll get to that in more detail later, but it says their blood will be upon them. They have committed 
a crime. They have sinned against God and against his holiness, and therefore there are consequences for that. Consequences then that the community is called upon to enact and to carry out. And so, individual accountability. And in the third place, justice values God's character. Go back, if you would, to verses 7 and 8 from last Sunday's sermon, last Sunday's passage. Leviticus 20, verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. True justice, the focus of it, is God and his character. That which is right and good and gentle and kind and righteous and holy and true and loving. That which reflects God's character is true justice and the focus of true justice. And so justice is not making the world the way that I want it to be. Justice is not manipulating circumstances so they turn out the way that I want them to. Justice is not everybody gets the same in the sense of uh, benefits and wealth. We have redefined justice in so many different ways in our culture. But the focus of true justice, defined by who God is, is a value on human life, a value on individual accountability, and a value on who God is and his character. The second place this morning then, what is the purpose of justice? And so move with me, if you would, two books over to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 19. Deuteronomy and chapter 19. And so again, pulling out a little bit from our passage and taking sort of a 10,000 foot view on our passage we want to see what is the purpose then of justice. And a good representative passage is Deuteronomy 19, 19 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, 19 through 21. What is the purpose of justice? And from this passage, there appears to be at least five. Deuteronomy 19, starting reading verse 19. Then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is the word of God. So what is justice's purpose? There are at least five from this passage. This is not exhaustive, but representative. But in the first place, recognize and understand that justice is not revenge. This is another way that we redefine justice. We want revenge. We want to avenge ourselves. Revenge almost invariably, if not exclusively, enacts a harsher punishment to the person who has violated uh, God's law than what is warranted. Because when it is up to us, our view of how someone has sinned against us is almost always higher than the actual sin that was done against us, and it is certainly higher than how we feel we have ever sinned against someone else. This is why Jesus will say in Matthew 7, get the log out of your own eye in the case of conflict. I've said this numerous times in counseling circumstances. 
When we have sinned against somebody else, we oftentimes look through the wrong way of the telescope. And so it's minimized. And we use language to that effect. It was a little thing, and uh, sorry, mistake, uh, I didn't mean, uh, and we kind of, we, we shrink the effects of our sin when it's against somebody else. However, when anybody sins against us, we flip the telescope around, look through it the correct way, and we magnify their sin. They have certainly sinned hugely against us, and let me sit that you down and tell you about it for the next three hours, how I've been sinned against. And so we must understand that justice is not the same, thanks be to God, as revenge. Paul will let us know in Romans chapter 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When we seek vengeance, we steal from God. God is the one that evens the score. God is the one that rights wrongs and reverses injustices. Justice is right. Revenge almost never or never is. So justice is not the same as revenge. Notice it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. We oftentimes read that negatively as if there is this a call to make sure that everything is enacted right down you know, to the last degree. But that is not the focus of this verse or any time that this phrase occurs in Scripture. It is to make sure that things are actually right. This was what was committed. This was the sin. This is the consequence for that sin and only this. And of course, the biggest issue in enacting justice is that our emotions are involved, and so we are not seeing things rightly, and so God comes in to say, we need to see things rightly. And so if it was an eye that was harmed, an eye is harmed. A tooth, a tooth, these things. So that justice does not descend into revenge. That is a downward spiral that does not serve God's purposes. The second place, justice then removes guilt. Notice in 19, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Previous in Leviticus, God had said to his nation of Israel that the land of Canaan to which they were headed would vomit the Canaanites out because the millennia of their sin or at least the hundreds of years of their sin, had polluted the land. There is actually wider ramifications for our sin. We oftentimes believe that when we sin, we sin in a vacuum, and our sin only affects us. The reality is sin always has broader implications. And so there actually is, when justice is done, there actually is a purging effect Sin actually is atoned for and guilt can actually be removed. Notice in the third place, justice deters future sin. Verse 20, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. One of the uh, 
ramifications or the consequences of justice is that those that are considering committing similar crimes are deterred from doing so because the penalty is enacted. It's interesting that in the 1970s, there was a crime wave, a crime spree, a rise in crime rates in the city of New York. And so the mayor at the time, together with the chief of police, enacted a policy called No Broken Glass. And what that meant was anyone that owned property in New York had to make sure that if any glass was broken, any of their storefront windows or any windows had to be replaced within a certain period of time. Now you might look at that and say, okay, so the homicide rate is up, theft is up, all of these things are up, and you're concerned about storefront windows. What is the point? The point was that in a neighborhood where nobody cares about broken glass, they probably don't care about other things. And if they don't care about other things, then they probably don't care what I'm going to do. And if there's no penalties, then I'm free to do what I want to do. But if we care all the way down to that level, we certainly care about the quote-unquote big things. And so... Justice deters future sin. If there's actual consequences that are actually enacted for sins, it does cause people to think twice before committing those acts of sin. Number four, justice atones and enables reconciliation. Verse 21 again, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. There is actual atonement here. Sin has been committed, therefore there are consequences. But once those consequences have been enacted, that sin has been atoned for, offerings and sacrifices given, as we learn from Leviticus 1 through 6, sin is actually atoned for and reconciliation is actually possible. Just a couple chapters over, Deuteronomy 25 and verse 3. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 3. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. The goal of true justice is not punitive, but restorative, so that the individual's dignity is not removed. Reconciliation is possible after justice has been served, but not revenge or raw punishment. And so justice seeks atonement and reconciliation. And then that leads to the fifth reality is that justice provides restitution. Exodus chapter 22, verses 1 through 15, and we've already looked at Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. There is restitution provided especially in the cases of theft. And so if you read Exodus chapter 22, verses 1 through 15, there's a number of things provided there. And what is interesting in the Israeli legal code, restitution was not made to the state. It was made to the person who had suffered the sin or the crime. So if someone had something stolen from them, there was restoration made back to them and not to society. We often talk about, about in our culture that someone has paid their debt to society. 
But in Israel, it was more a question of have they paid their debt to the person that they're actually indebted to? (laughs) Was restitution made on a personal basis? And so someone has stolen something or someone is watching over something that gets hurt or any of these things, all of these scenarios that are talked about in Exodus chapter 22, there is restitution, the possibility for restitution to be made. And so you will note that true justice, justice that reflects the character of God, that mirrors who he is, has as its goal redemption and restoration, reconciliation. Yes, there are consequences, but they are not primarily punitive. They're not primarily punishment, but they're more so that things can be made right and so relationships can be restored. Lastly then this morning, what then is the message of justice? As we look at these punishments back in our text, Leviticus chapter 20, especially the taking of human life, capital punishment, What is the message there? I believe there are four. First, God should be our highest value. We've already seen this from last Sunday's sermon, once again in verses 7 and 8. It is not primarily about our emotions. It is not primarily about how we feel. It's not primarily about us getting revenge but it ought to be primarily about God's character has been impugned. There is an action that has taken place, a word that has been spoken, an attitude that has been had that does not reflect who God is. And so true justice looks to how do we write that? How do we see that things are done the way that God would have them done so they reflect God's character? Far too often, our main concern in life but certainly when we've been wronged, is us. And our primary consideration should be God. Number two, sin is serious. Notice verse five, last Sunday's passage. Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people. It is a serious thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We oftentimes treat sin fairly lightly. We're fairly cavalier in our attitude towards sin. It's not that big a deal, certainly not when I commit it. And yet, if we've learned anything from our walk through the book of Leviticus, God's holiness is a very real thing, and sin has very real consequences. Sin is a serious thing. To make a mockery of sin is to laugh as we are headed towards destruction. It is a foolish thing to take sin lightly. In the third place, then, the message of justice is that we are responsible. From our passage this morning, Verse 11, 12, 13, 16, 17, 19, and 20 all have a phrase that perhaps you picked up on. And it is, their blood is upon them. Capital punishment is not the same as a violation of God's law in the Ten Commandments in the Decalogue, thou shalt not murder, because the individual that has committed this sin 
is responsible not just for the sin, but also for the consequences that result. They knew what the consequences were. They chose to sin, and therefore, when the consequences of their sin are enacted, the guilt does not lie on the individual who is carrying out the consequence of their sin. It lies on the individual that has done the sinning. We are responsible. This is not a message that is very prevalent in our society, and it is certainly not a message that is very accepted in our society. (laughs) But there is a problem in the world, and that problem's me, and that problem's you. We are responsible for the seriousness of sin. Sin is ugly. Sin is horrific. Sin destroys And we are the ones who engage in it. Lastly then, holiness is necessary. God, in this passage, repeatedly in each of the sins that are delineated, talks about the reality that in order for the nation to be holy, and in order for he to dwell in their midst, justice must be served. Holiness is necessary to continue as a nation for things to be as they ought to be. And so we mock at God's holiness or ignore God's holiness to our peril. Now, if I were to stop there this morning, although you may be quite happy for me to do that at this point in the morning, That would not be the fullness of the message of Scripture. Because if it is just about justice, if it is just about us getting what we deserve, then I must, in truth, let all of you know we're all in deep trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I am the biggest sinner that I know. And if God's justice is all that I have to look forward to facing, both in this life and the life to come, then I have no hope. But thanks be to God, we do have hope. Because notice once again, Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 8, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Thanks be to God that although we are great sinners, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And yet, God is still justice. So how does that work? One final passage, if you would, and we read it already during our liturgy. Romans chapter 3, one of my favorite books of the Bible and one of my favorite passages in that book. It's great to be able to walk through that last year. Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
How is God simultaneously justice and grace? How does he simultaneously hold to what is right and yet declare sinners righteous? Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he bore on himself the right, the just, the deserved penalty for all of your sins and mine, so that God can both be justice and not deviate from that standard, but also declare sinners righteous. That is the gospel, and that is our hope. Thanks be to God, he does not lower his standards. He of all individuals in the universe does not wink at sin. He knows the destruction that sin brings. He watched it happen to the world that he declared good. And knowing what we would do with the freedom that he gave us, his plan before he ever made us in his image was Jesus Christ the righteous. He loved us so much that he sent his son to become one of us and to bear our, the penalty for our unrighteousness so that the penalty could be paid in full and yet we didn't have to pay it and we can be declared righteous. And so as we think about justice, one of the images or the main image that should come into our minds is the image of the cross. That is where justice and grace and mercy meet. And thanks be to God for that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I hope that it has been good to peel back a bit from our passage, a passage full of serious consequences for serious sins, and to take a deeper look at this reality of justice, this reality of what is behind these consequences that are to be enacted for sins. May we see the proper focus of justice. It is on what is right, what is like you, what is good, what is holy, what is righteous and true, loving and kind. This is the focus of true justice. Places a value on human life, those made in, the, in your image and on the individual accountability that we all have, and on your character. Father, thank you for the purpose of justice. It is not revenge. It is to provide a means for guilt to be assuaged, sin to be atoned for, reconciliation, redemption, and restoration to take place. Father, thank you for the message that justice brings. A reminder that we are great sinners, but thanks be to you, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And my prayer this morning is that anyone that does not know him would ask myself or the person that brought them or anyone sitting next to them about this reality. And Father, for those that do know you, may we strive for justice in our daily lives. May we 
as followers of Jesus Christ, live like him, especially in this way, as our focus this morning. But also, Father, we bring with the message of justice, a message of grace and mercy and hope. We are thankful for that this morning. Help us to introduce everyone we know to the one who is both justice and mercy simultaneously. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.